0: How much attention are you paying to the speed at which you scroll through
1: social media feeds because it's affecting whose posts you see? Picture what it means to scroll past a post versus to pause on that post for half a second. That's the kind of detailed data Facebook uses to decide what you, quote, want. But when you're making these very quick decisions, you tend to favor people who look like you. Welcome to The Pie.
0: I'm your host, Tess Vigland. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we're talking about the most pressing matters of the day seen through the lens of economics. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's becker Friedman Institute. And in this episode, we're exploring the role of algorithms in our fast and slow decision-making. Think about how you go about your social media life, if you have one. Are you a mindless scroller, or do you take your time reading through your newsfeed? Well, Facebook's algorithms are paying close attention, and it's affecting whose posts you see and whether or not those people look like you. We're talking about inherent and magnified bias in our choices today. Our guests are Sendhil Molinathan, Roman Family University Professor of Computation and Behavioral Science at the Booth School of Business, and one of his co-authors, Amanda Agan, who received her Ph.D. in economics at the University of Chicago and is now an assistant professor of economics at Rutgers University. Well, Sendhil and Amanda, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, first question. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about Facebook here, but Facebook is so yesterday, you guys. Why not study you know, TikTok, a site that uh, this middle-aged woman has never been on and that probably doesn't want me?
1: (laughs) Uh, Facebook, I think, it's easy to focus on the trends and look at the things that are up and coming. But in a way, the established stock of users is very large on Facebook still, even if it's declining a little bit. And it still remains one of the networks that Essentially, connects people to people in a more meaningful way. It's far more durable in its connectivity to other things. That's sort of the one answer. The other answer is economics papers take a long time to write. So when we started this, Facebook <laughs> wasn't so much yesterday. <laughs> so I don't know. You can decide which answer you want to use.
2: Yeah, I'm not. It's, TikTok may have been really nascent. I think when we <laughs> when we first started thinking about this,
1: I think it was just tick back then. I think it. You know, it's a.
0: <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> they hadn't talked yet. Fair enough. Um, All right. Well, when I first started reading through your research, I kind of started thinking okay, we all know that an algorithm is choosing what we see in our social media feeds, right? It's curated based on posts that we've liked and what we click on. And because of that, we end up seeing basically only what we want to see and often what we agree with. We're preaching to the choir, and the choir is preaching back to us. So, there is a well-known bias inherent in that process. Given that knowledge, what were you setting out to examine about our behaviors?
2: The point that we wanted to examine was about the context in which you make those choices. You mentioned that we're seeing what we want to see, and we're kind of questioning that a little bit. Um, Because when we make decisions very quickly, we sometimes make decisions a little bit differently uh, than we might have if we were making those decisions slowly and really thinking um, about what we were doing. And in particular, when we make those decisions quickly, we tend to make decisions that are a little bit more biased. We tend to um, like things from people that, are, that look more like us. Um, and then that can feed into the algorithm. And the algorithm might be spitting back something that's a little bit less what we want uh, than we thought it might be.
0: But aren't we mostly on Facebook with people we already know? So are are we really making decisions based on who looks like us?
1: That's the amazing part, is that you tend to have this view that, yeah, this is all close friends, and on that basis, you know, it's people I already know, exactly as you said. But what we're finding, and this is not us, I think the psychology literature is pretty determinative on this, is that... Whatever the context, when you choose quickly, and when I, just to make that very concrete, picture what it means to scroll past a post versus to pause on that post for half a second. That's the kind of detailed data Facebook uses to decide what you, quote, want. But the psychology literature tells us that type of micro action isn't as revealing about what you actually want. What it's revealing about is almost lizard brain biases, even amongst people you've already chosen as friends, even amongst that group. When you're making these very quick decisions, you tend to be favor people who look like you. And I think that's the distinction, is that the psychology literature has really emphasized, hey, when you decide fast, a lot of stuff creeps in. And you had sort of said like, these algorithms are giving us what we want. And as Amanda's saying, are they really giving us what we want? They're giving us what we do and not do after a minute or even 30 seconds or even 10 seconds of consideration, but after half a second without thinking. So really these algorithms are, are giving us what we do very fast. And that's where the problems start to begin.
0: So the algorithm is paying attention to, say, I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed and my cat comes over and wants me to pet her. It's It's paying attention to when I... Stop, even if where I stop is accidental?
1: Right. And worse, if it's accidental, that we can take of as noise, right? Like the cat comes randomly. Yeah. But it's this sort of systematic. Think of it this way. It's like we've all had this. You, Let's not think of friends. Let's think of scrolling past, you know, food items. You're Hmm. just a little bit more likely to pause and hesitate on that donut than you are on that salad, (laughs) even if you don't buy the donut, right? And that's... But the algorithm is like, oh, looks like this person's interested in donuts, and you're thinking, please don't show me this donut again. <laughs>
0: um, so, so it's it's really interesting to me when you when you talk about and when you, you write in your research about how algorithms, which we talk about like they're actual humans, um, <laughs> that algorithms assume that people are choosing what they want, but they're not.
2: I mean, I think perhaps more to the point, that's the information they have, right? It's hard for them to have information on what exactly we're thinking when we're making these decisions. And so whatever they're doing, they have to be building these algorithms and their outputs based on what we've done, because that's the information they have.
1: And the error has been, and I think it's exactly what Amanda is saying, they have this information and the error has been just to treat it as if that's what we want. A moment's reflection tells us. And this actually should make everyone reflect on all of the think, talking about big data, algorithms see so much of, about us. Exactly as Amanda's saying, do they really see? So They see a bunch of what we do, but that's not what we want necessarily. Hmm. And so th- there is a pretty big data divide, exactly as Amanda's saying. The, the era of big data makes you think these algorithms see everything about us. In fact, they don't. And, and sadly, the parts of us they see might not be the parts that we actually want to be communicating.
0: Let's lay some groundwork for your research. And I want to hear about this experiment that you conducted involving movie recommendations. <laughs> yes, this sounds great. T- tell us <laughs> about that, Amanda.
2: Yeah, so we wanted to be able to mimic these sorts of recommendation algorithms, social media platforms, but in a way that we had a lot of control over how people were making decisions. Um, And so the way we did this was we had people look at movie recommendations. These movie recommendations were attached to a name. And so those names varied so that they could, so that individuals could um, sort of ascertain uh, the race and gender of the individual who was making the recommendation. Uh, so you would probably guess that, you know, Amanda A making a recommendation uh, was definitely female, probably white. Um, and that Sendall M making a recommendation was probably male, probably Indian. And so That kind of information was how we tried to convey um, to the individual user whether this person was somebody who was perhaps more like them or less like them. They looked at these recommendations and had to make a decision about uh, three movies that they might want to watch. And we randomly assigned people to make decisions in a condition that felt more rushed. And we had another condition where people were choosing amongst these movie recommendations in a much slower environment. Um, And so then we could see sort of the differences in the decisions that people were making about which movies to choose and about which recommenders in particular's movies to choose uh, in these two different contexts. And then on top of that, we sort of used the decisions that individuals were making uh, to build, in some sense, our own recommendation algorithm to then rank order movies for people uh, to choose kind of in another uh, version of the experiment. And what were the findings? When we build our recommendation algorithm and kind of look at how it's deciding to rank order uh, movie recommendations, if we build that recommendation algorithm based on non-rushed decisions, yeah, it kind of upweights posts or recommendations, I should say, um, from people who are more like you, but not really by much. But if we build that recommendation algorithm based on the rushed condition, we see this much larger gap opening up where it's really highly upweighting recommendations from people who are like you, from people whose race and gender match yours, and downweighting movie recommendations from people uh, who don't look like you. So it's really exacerbating this sort of algorithmic bias that we're seeing, which was exactly what we were trying to talk about at the beginning, um, and kind of what we were, you know, thinking that we might see.
0: So then you broadened this lab experiment way out with an audit of Facebook algorithms, and you looked at two distinct parts of Facebook. Uh, the news feed, which is where you see all your friends' posts and pictures and news articles and And then the section uh, that recommends people you might want to be friends with. Why compare those two elements? What were you measuring?
2: I mean, in any ways, these are kind of the two main algorithms that people are interacting with on Facebook. At the same time, one can easily imagine, and we kind of show this empirically as well, that if you're choosing to add a friend to your network, that's probably gonna be a pretty deliberate decision that you're making. You're not just, this is not like the scrolling past a post for half a second. Whereas on the news feed, exactly that scrolling past for half a second, maybe a quick, quick of like, right? You're doing a lot more quick decision-making as you're choosing to interact with a newsfeed post. And so at the same time that these are kind of two of the most common, commonly interacted with algorithms on Facebook, they also offer very different decision-making contexts that were going to be very important for us in terms of trying to think about how those contexts can make biases different um, in what Facebook is going to recommend to individuals.
0: Well, let's talk about your findings for the news feed. Uh now, as a user of Facebook, I can say that my activities are basically scroll until I find something interesting from a close friend or a post with maybe a news item that catches my interest. That's about it. Uh, I do miss the days when it was a chronological feed uh, that, that was not curated. I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> um, because I do now know that I am being manipulated. I s- still use it anyway. Um So, Sandal, what is that algorithm doing to me now in terms of the choices that I'm making?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think your point about the chronological feed is terrific. The thing about the chronological feed is that just picture what you do. You open Facebook, and you kind of scroll down, and then you give up at some point, and you move on. And so things near the bottom of the list are never going to get seen, and that's fine and you are you. So whatever biases we've identified, even if there's no algorithm, will be there. So you might scroll past your friends' posts who are not the same race as you because you're just you're being a little mindless, that'll just happen. So there's always going to be bias because it's human bias. But now think what happens when an algorithm resorts that list because it's putting some people's posts near the top, people of the same race, say. Suddenly, those Posts by people not of your race are doubly hurt. They're hurt because if you actually get to them, you have your usual bias, but they're also hurt because the algorithm has buried them at the bottom of your feed, which you're l- unlikely to get to. So this is a, situ- like we often talk about algorithms reflecting our biases. Mm-hmm. This is a situation where the algorithm is not just reflecting our bias. It's actually magnifying our bias exactly because it's sorting the, li- it's like almost putting at the top the things you're more likely to see, people of the same race. And at the bottom, the things you're least likely to see, people of different races. These are friends, people you chose. And so I think that feedback loop actually makes it makes you wonder, are we maybe making things even worse off by moving away from the chronological uh, ordering? Or at a minimum, should we, we be building these algorithms differently?
0: But if the algorithm is showing me items based on the biases I already have, based on what I'm clicking on or stopping on, then isn't that my problem, not the algorithm necessarily?
1: It's a good question. There's always an issue of who, to, who, who owns the problem. And I think, I, I love the way you started this. These algorithms are pitched as saying, we'll show you what you want. In some sense, I would argue that's where the problem begins in a misunderstanding of what these algorithms are doing. Since they are pitched as what you want, you kind of think they're just showing me what I want, but they're not. Yeah. They're showing you what you do. And, you know, it, it puts a lot on consumers to go through the thought process, what I do is not what I want, though everybody finds it intuitive after you run them through that thought process. So it's, it's a little bit of a, not a little, a big misunderstanding um, that's propagated through the way we even talk about these algorithms. So
0: then what did you find from Newsfeed?
2: what we found on newsfeed is that posts from people that are like you tend to be ranked higher than posts from people who are not like you. And that this is true, even conditional on people's preferences. So this kind of gets to the point you were making, like, is this my problem, (laughs) right? Like you might say that you tend to like posts from people like you more than people not like you. Maybe that's just true about you. And what we're finding is Even conditional on that, on the news feed, the posts from people that are like you are ranked even higher than the posts from people who are not like you, even when you like them similarly.
0: All right. And what about the section that recommends people I might want to be friends with? How is that different from the news feed and what does that difference tell us?
2: when we look at people you may know, we don't see the same thing. We don't see that conditional on your familiarity with this person, that somebody who's like you does not actually tend to be ranked higher um, in what you can see than people who are not like you. And again, you know, there's a lot of differences between these two algorithms. But one big one is the context in which you're making that decision. And that You know, we show that empirically through a survey, you know, in addition to kind of how you, your gut feelings um, about the differences between these two algorithms might be, you know, we also show that people take longer to decide whether to add a friend from the people you may know algorithm versus say liking a post on the newsfeed and just make much more deliberate decisions about adding friends to their network than they do about scrolling through their newsfeed. And that, that that's kind of comes out in our results as well.
0: And let's just remind listeners that when you're t- using the phrase people who are like you, yeah. you, you're talking about people who look
1: like you. We are talking
0: about race, race yes. here.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And one thing that's worth contrasting here is almost a dog that didn't bark. If you think about it, what we're finding is... In making connections, in Facebook suggesting who you ought to be friends with, there doesn't really appear to be a race gap. It's not the case that Facebook is suggesting white people to white people. But amongst people you're already friends with, it's hiding the posts of black friends to white people, which to your earlier point, Tess, is that's the place where you would have thought the problem would be the lowest. But in fact, exactly because on newsfeed, we're not deliberate but on people you may know we are deliberate, it actually goes in the opposite direction. And I think it's, to me, there's a bit of optimism in the people you may know result because it tells us there's nothing predetermined about any of this. It's not that algorithms will always be biased. It's not that, oh, we should just shut down algorithms altogether. There's structure here. There's a way we can understand what's happening, which in turn means we can fix the problems.
0: But I guess I'm still stuck on you know, so let me give you a hypothetical. So I'm a white woman. What if my 10 very best friends are black women? Isn't the algorithm going to find me liking and responding and commenting on their posts more? I, I, I'm just trying to figure out again, how much of this is, is me and how much of it is an algorithm that isn't recognizing something as I'm scrolling. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I, I think what you're raising is at the core of the psychological issue here, which is we tend to have a unitary way of viewing our behavior. What do we do? We do what we like. But when you reflect, you realize, oh, I guess I don't always do what I like. When I'm doing things quickly, I might do things that I don't even want to be doing. We kind of recognize that in the abstract. But it's very hard to make that concrete. Even in my own things, I am like, well, obviously when I'm scrolling through Facebook, I only engage with the posts that I want to engage with. And that just doesn't appear to be true. Psychologists would tell you, of course not. You're fooling yourself. When you're acting that quickly, there's a lot of traces in your behavior that are not going to be the way you think. And this is one reason I think the implicit bias literature has been so dominant in psychology for a while is the recognition that, we may not have any explicit bias, but our trace behaviors, when they happen very fast, can contain lots of implicit biases. And one way to think about this work is that sort of quick behavior is actually harder for ourselves to understand how we behave that way. So even if half of your friends are black women and you like them just as much as you like the white women, when we watch your scrolling behavior, not your like, thought out posts or your connection, not not how you engage in a very meaningful way. But this sort of traces, there will be biases, maybe not with you, but on average, it's very common. And the algorithm is magnifying that. Exactly. And it's worse because if you think about it, how much data does it have, even on newsfeed, about the deep things you engage with? Not that much right. because you don't engage that often. How much data does it have on this very fast scrolling behavior? Tons of it. So most of the data that it has is full of this sort of quick, kind of slightly mindless decision-making. So this is
0: about kind of how we can modify our own individual behavior, maybe less mindless scrolling. Um, but how would you want to see algorithms change, assuming that was even possible and that you had any, any, any influence over that at all? <laughs>
2: I mean, in many ways, it's similar, right? Putting more weight on the decisions that people tend to make more deliberately. Um, and then the other might be to actually, you know, maybe not for everybody, you know, but at least for some, for some people, to collect some information on their actual preferences, uh, to in some sense survey them not, not too dissimilarly to the way that we did, so that they can see where the biggest errors are in terms of differences between what people do and what people actually like or prefer.
1: And I'd add to this, I think we need a process change in the way algorithms are built right now. I think when we say algorithms, we think that's a job for computer scientists. But if what we're talking about is algorithms that interpret our behavior to understand what we want, that suddenly sounds like a job, not just for computer scientists, but for behavioral scientists. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing here is a mismatch between the task at hand and how we're addressing that task. And what we really need over the next 20 years is much more merging of these two ways of viewing the world, people who under, researchers who understand people and researchers who understand how to build algorithms. And I think that type of problem, this is almost the tip of the iceberg. If you just look at the broad spectrum of how many algorithms are we building that are fundamentally about trying to make sense of what we do, that's a lot. And if we found one problem, there's surely other problems of the same variety, and we just need to somehow change who's involved in thinking through the building of these algorithms.
0: Yeah, but then that prompts me to ask if we are expecting something unrealistic of if we, that we are somehow assuming that there is good intent on the part of these companies. <laughs> um, you know, do, do, do I, I wonder whether changes to the algorithm that would help us make slower and better decisions is really antithetical to the goal of the company, which is to keep our eyeballs glued so that we see more <laughs> advertising. So helping us to think smarter and slower could hinder that goal, couldn't it?
1: Yeah, as, as, as an economist, it's hard to disagree with the force of market incentives. Um, it's definitely the case that there's a lot of incentives for engagement optimization right now. But it's also worth noting, these companies are about maximizing medium-term profits. They are not about maximizing profits this quarter or even this year. It's over the next few years. Uh, This is not to disagree with anything you said. Completely agree with that. But I also think even these companies have an incentive to move away from the extreme of engagement optimization they're in, simply because on Twitter, even before Elon Musk took over, it was a regular occurrence for someone to post, I've had it with this place, I'm done, I'm leaving. That's not good for Twitter. Yes, they're optimizing engagement at the day level, but they're not optimizing engagement at the year level. And profits are measured at the year level at the end of the day. And they realize this. So there is a well-understood thing. They're like, hmm, short-term engagement doesn't seem to imply long-term engagement. How do we go about maximizing long-term engagement? And so there is that recognition because ultimately, they're profit-maximizing, and profit-maximizing means having a slightly longer horizon.
0: I want to ask both of you, Sendal you touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, to talk about what, if anything, this research has done to how you behave online on, you know, whether it's Amazon or Netflix or Facebook. Has this affected The speed at which you are conducting your online business, whether it's social media or anything else. Amanda?
2: It's so interesting because sometimes yes and sometimes no, and I can catch myself sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> um, thinking, oh man, I've been on this for like ten minutes and not even really thinking about it. And then I'm like thinking about all the very fast choices that I just made. Yeah. And yeah. so it's very, it's very hard to get yourself to every time you log on to one of these things to slow down to think about your decisions. Even having done this research myself, so sometimes, you know, if I'm in that right mindset, I can get myself uh, to kind of slow down to really think about the decisions that I'm making. But, man. Psycho- the, the psychology is strong and you can't help it sometimes, right? Particularly as you're yeah. laying in bed at night and you realize you've been scrolling for 20 minutes without thinking, Um, you know. So I think the answer is uh, sometimes yes and sometimes no.
1: You know what I do, Amanda, that's helped me a little bit is that what? I i feel like the original sin is picking up the device. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so Yeah. And so I now have a rule. Now, no follow-up questions about how well I'm implementing it, please. But I have a rule. <laughs> that I only pick up the device when I have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And when I tried to implement this rule, it's shocking how many times I picked it up with no purpose in mind. But when you say, I'm only gonna pick this up to do X, it's amazing how much of the mindless stuff just disappears. Do you think it's really possible
0: to have an impact on that algorithm?
1: Yeah, the power of these algorithms is they learn from your behavior fast. And that's, that's their strength. And their exact strength is, can be, is also their weakness because they learn from your behavior fast. But, but they are very good at learning from data. And so in that sense, you, you definitely can. I'll tell you a story. Like I remember, I started watching a Korean TV show a while back and then I must've just paused a little bit more on different korean tv shows at netflix and suddenly within like two weeks my entire netflix recommendation feed was all korean tv shows <laughs> i don't speak a word of korean but i certainly watched a lot of korean tv
0: there's a lot of good korean tv
1: there is oh wow yes I, yeah you're preaching to the converted
0: all right fascinating absolutely fascinating stuff now i feel like i'm going to go on facebook and be like oh am i doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> But that's probably a good thing. Uh, Sendal and Amanda, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. you. The Pie is a production of the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest economic research from the University of Chicago, you can visit bfi.uchicago.edu slash subscribe. And you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. And, of course, you can subscribe to The Pie on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Our theme music was composed by Story Mechanics, production assistance from the BFI communications team. I'm Tess Vigland, your host and executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.